I uh, want to start with a little cliche uh, illustration here. Maybe you had a New Year's resolution. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I, can, I, I know a couple weeks ago, if you were here on New Year's Eve, I said rhythms over resolutions. A couple of you pointed that out to me. You kind of like that. Maybe you made a resolution. I heard a story about a, a gym in a big city that makes a plan every New Year's Day to bring in extra equipment. But the plan is that the equipment's only there for a week. Like they just go ahead and say, you can bring it in for New Year's Day, but on the 7th of January, it's coming out because we don't have room for that stuff, right? And so it's packed in the beginning. And then by one weekend, these resolutions are falling through. The, the reality is like, we just aren't good promise keepers. We, we're good promise makers. We use that phrase a lot, uh, I promise. Uh, but we often, especially when we make promises to ourselves, fail to keep them. The question is, do we believe that God will keep his promises? Or do we apply what we know to be true about ourselves to him? Does that inform our faith? Faith is choosing to live in the promises of God before they are fulfilled, regardless of our circumstances. Let me say that again. Faith is choosing to live in the promises of God before and until they are fulfilled, regardless of circumstances, promises. Uh, Chelsea did an awesome job recapping Genesis, uh, 12 chapters. Chelsea, in like, I don't know, it had to be three minutes. I mean, I'm pretty impressed. Uh, don't hold me to that, okay? We're just going to cover 10 verses today. I think I'm going to use all of 30 or 35 minutes, okay? Is that all right? So, Promises. Genesis 12 is probably one of the most important promises that God makes in all of Scripture uh, because of what it means. She's so eloquently described about how it points to the one promised offspring of Abram that will fulfill God's plan to bring salvation to the world, to bring people back into a relationship of blessing. And as we just sung about, that God would eventually restore all of creation through this one promised son, who we know now as Jesus Christ. This is all beginning uh, in Genesis chapter 12. In fact, I want to read it for you. In the first three verses of Genesis 12, this is the promise. The Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. And remember when we talked about name, which came all the way from the family of Noah and his son Shem, that name Shem in Hebrew actually means name. God was already planning to make a name great. We follow that up with our New Testament Philippians that he gives Jesus the name that is above every name. This is a thread through the Bible, making a promise to Abram. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God makes a promise to Abram. Abram's response is not something to do. It's an unconditional promise. It's just to receive the promise and believe the promise, to live in the promise. 
Well, as the story goes on in Genesis, what we'll see is that it takes a lot of faith for Abram just to receive and believe and live in the promise, namely because he's talking about Abram having children. Well, Abram at this point is an old man. He's married to a woman who up, to, up until this point, they believe she's not able to have children. And so when God makes this promise, it's quite a stretch. It's, it's quite a leap of faith for them to believe this. And not only that, but for the next 12 or so chapters, they're going to be encountering situation after situation, after circumstance after circumstance that threatens not only uh, their ability to have children, that's already, they already know that that's going to be a tough deal, but even their own existence is going to be threatened, much less having children, building a nation, et cetera, et cetera. So this is going to be a big leap of faith. It's the tension that we're going to see over the next several chapters. And in chapter 12, verses 10 through 20, this is exactly what we find. We find the tension of will God fulfill his promise? Or will the circumstances of Abram's life pull him away from faith in God? When we break promises to ourselves, we got to give ourselves a little bit of credit because circumstances of life can get out of control pretty quick, right? You know, maybe you did make that promise to go to the gym this year. And uh, before you know it, we're a couple weeks in and there's a major winter storm coming. And you know what? The gyms are probably going to close. What are you going to do now? (laughs) It's kind of out of your control, right? So you may not be able to fulfill that promise to yourself. I'm not giving you a free pass, right? If you're on and you're going to the gym, keep going, okay? I'm proud of you. But maybe it's something else. Maybe a, a relationship falls through that you were really banking on. Maybe a job falls through. Maybe you're, anything outside of your control happens to you and it thwarts your ability to keep your own promise. Well, what happens when circumstances of life challenge God's ability to keep a promise? What will we believe? So let's read Genesis 12, 10 through 20 and find out, will Abram believe and live in God's promise even when circumstances appear to threaten their fulfillment? Look with me in chapter 12, verse 10. There was a famine in the land. This is the land that as Abram is promised by God to be a blessing to the world, God will lead him to a place that he'll show him. He leads him in verses four through nine to what we know as modern day Israel, the promised land. Uh, This is where his people will dwell. He makes a promise in verse seven to your offspring. I will give this land. God is giving his people a place to be and to be with God. Yet in verse 10, there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. It's a good start, right? It's making a good start. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. They'll kill me, but let you live. Please say you're my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman who was, the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, so the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram well because of her, and Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels. 
But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why'd you say she's my sister so that I took her as my wife? Now here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. Wow. I like how Chelsea said that Abram wasn't always perfect. In fact, sometimes he wasn't even good. This is a story that represents that reality. Abram, Father Abraham, we sing songs in our Sunday school classes about him, right? This is a, he's a hero, isn't he? The very first opportunity we get to see him fulfilling the promise God has made to him, to make his name great, to be a blessing, what does he do? He runs away from it. He chooses his own way, just like Eve in the garden who is tempted to believe that she could have something that God had that she didn't, that she could be like God. And she takes the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She chooses autonomy from God. So does Abram. The very first chance he gets to see God fulfill his promise through a difficult situation. He deserts it. He departs from it. In fact, this passage is breaking down, broken down into four parts, and I want to walk you through each of the parts and then see at the end, what does this mean for us? So the first part we see in verse 10 is, is desperation. Abram's in a desperate situation. His circumstances are not good. This is one of those life out of control kind of moments. There's a famine in the land, a famine. Now, if you go to Kroger today or Super One or wherever, the Bread is gone, I'm sure. The milk is probably gone. And you might be wandering around the store going, I guess I'm going to have to like stock up on chocolate. I mean, I don't have any other ice cream. Like I got no other choice. I heard bluebells on sale, okay? Uh, so maybe you just got to do that. That's not a famine. <laughs> Even in the supply chain shortage from a couple of years ago, when we wondered like, how are we going to get toilet paper? Or how are we going to get whatever? That's not a famine. A famine was life and death. There is no figure it out. There is no choose something else. It's either you live or you die. And there's really no way to guarantee life. So Abram's in a terrible situation with his family in a new place where he's not necessarily welcomed by the people who are already living there. And he's in a famine. So what is he going to do? Give the guy some credit. He's maybe trying to take care of his family. Maybe even he's thinking to himself, how could God fulfill this promise to me that we could have a family, raise a family, become a nation, bless the world if we aren't even going to survive? I've got to do something about this. And herein lies Abram's problem because he questioned how God could do something and decided that he had the answer. This is where the sin of faithlessness comes in. This is a moment of desperation. It's the first sign in Genesis of a threat to God fulfilling his promise to Abram. So while in the very same chapter we've already read, Abram heard the promise of God audibly, Abram calls an audible. 
he, he makes a change on the fly. He decides, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Egypt. Maybe the grass is greener on the other side. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. It's easy to say God's blessing us when we're living in abundance, right? The promise of God was to bless Abram, but Abram had nothing. How could God be blessing when there was suffering involved? Certainly that is not how God works, right? This is where we come into the story and can identify with Abram. Because this is a trap we fall into all the time. We know God wants to bless us. We know God. We've seen all through Genesis so far that God pursues relentlessly sinful humanity with the promise of blessing to restore us into that relationship of eternal blessing to know him and be with him and to live with him and to have peace and, and resurrection now and all this. We know it's all there. But what about when hard things happen? What about when like a diagnosis shakes the foundation of your family? What about when a job ends in being let go. There's layoffs. What happens when someone who you love and trust turns their back on you or stabs you in the back? The question is, where do you turn when you face desperate circumstances? Abram turned somewhere other than God and attempted to do things his way, to make God's promise fulfilled in his own power. Do you think Abram was gonna find blessing in that? He doesn't. The same is true for us. We face crisis. We face situations of desperation, which we face all the time. We can turn to God and trust him by faith. The psalmist gives us an incredible prayer that we can learn to pray in Psalm chapter 27. When we recognize that we can't interpret our sufferings and hardships as God's absence or God's ambivalence, we have to choose faith. This is something we've got to build into our lives and learn how to do. Even when circumstances appear to threaten God's promise, the psalmist teaches us how to pray in this way. Psalm 27, 13, and 14 says this, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. I'm certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. All this is future tense. That means the psalmist, as he writes, is saying what everything around me looks like right now is death. It's struggle, it's heartache, it's darkness. But faith says, I am certain I'll see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. And again, he says, wait for the Lord. This is a tool that we can use to build faith despite difficult, even desperate circumstances to align our hearts with God through prayer. Abram needed to learn this lesson that circumstances change. God's character never changes. When God makes a promise, he will bring it to fruition. And this is in fact what faith is, right? It's choosing to live in the promises of God until they are fulfilled, despite or regardless of our circumstances. So Abram makes this mistake of believing that if circumstances are out of his control, they must also be out of God's control. 
That is a fatal mistake to faith. Faith, though, turns to God for help. It trusts in God's plan without feeling the pressure to make a plan of our own. We wait on God. Abram acted out of fear. So he devised his own plan and he literally left the land of promise. So faith is living in God's promise. Abram departed. And then what comes next? Deception. It's part two. Deception. Uh, now we can make some kind of, you know, preaching kind of leap of that, you know, if you face doubt, like it always leads to other sin. And that, that is likely. Well, all we can know is exactly what Abram does here is chooses to leave God's plan and now things are under his control and he makes even more mistakes. But before we get caught up in Abram's lie about Sarai, which is there, we'll talk about this in a moment. Remember the question of the story is asking who can be trusted to keep a promise? Can God be trusted to keep a promise? Can we trust God even when circumstances don't look like the promise might be fulfilled. So this is a clear example of Abram breaking a promise. People can't be trusted to keep promises. What do I mean? In this story of Abram lying about Sarai is a broken promise. So it is true, partly, that Sarai was Abram's sister. I know that's weird to us. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it made more sense to them. In fact, she was really only a half-sister of sorts to Abram. And so for Abram to say, hey, say you're my sister, it didn't seem like that much of a stretch. It is still a lie for sure. But do you remember in Genesis 2, in the garden, when God takes Adam and puts him to sleep and pulls from his side and forms woman, Eve, and he puts them together in union. And he says, this is a, a union that can't be separated. And, and he's talking about marriage. Genesis chapter two is very beginning. This is the kind of relationship that Abram and Sarai have now, where they leave their father and mother and they unite to one another and become one flesh. This is God's vision for marriage. This is the relationship they're in now is a marriage relationship. They've made a marriage vow. They've made marriage promises to each other. And so even though they were half sister brother, what Abram is doing is saying, let's press pause on our marriage covenant, our marriage vow, and go back to that previous relationship so that we might survive this situation we find ourselves in. Abram's saying, I'm willing to sacrifice the marriage relationship, which supersedes all other relationships for my own well-being. He's breaking his promise, his marriage vow to Sarai in this. And so, of course, we see who can be trusted to keep a promise. Not Abram. Not Abram. He is a promise breaker. And Sarai didn't really have much power in this. In fact, she didn't really have any power. She had no say over what was happening here. Abram even uses the magic word, please. Did you see that? Please say you're my sister. That doesn't make it right. Abram's in the wrong. She doesn't have a choice and his scheme is completely selfish. Did you see the phrases? Look at verse 13. It says, so that it will go well with me. Maybe thinking, well, God made the promise to me in Genesis 12. So, you know, Whatever happens to you, um, I understand, but I've got to survive so that God can fulfill this promise through me. Maybe that's running through Abram's mind. Maybe it's even worse of a motive. Either way, Abram sins. He says, so that my life will be spared. 
It's completely selfish. And from there, he chooses deception. He leads Sarai, his wife, into this lie to save himself. Now, things didn't start out a big deal. I mean, it's just kind of like, hey, we're here for a while. We need to just survive. You know, let's reconvene. I was thinking about when we were in Atlanta a couple weeks ago, and you go into a big city with a couple church vans of college students and some high school seniors, and, and then we're about to go into this arena with 55,000 college students at this conference. You make a plan. You're, you're going in. You go, okay, let's have a game plan here. Number one is don't go anywhere by yourself, okay? Be in pairs wherever you go, okay? We're going to meet back at this time, okay? When this session's over, we'll meet at this gate at the arena. This time. You make a plan. So they're entering Egypt, and Abraham's realizing, like, this might be a tough situation here, so i got to devise a plan. What's our end game going to be? How are we going to get out of this? He's not thinking this is going to be long-term. He's thinking, let's just lay low. You know what? Just say, hey, my sister, it'll be okay. It's just a small little lie. But things mushroom. They kind of blow out of proportion really quickly. Abram sort of underestimates maybe Sarai's beauty. Doesn't intend to catch the eye of Pharaoh's officials, but he does. She does. And they introduce her to Pharaoh. And now the leader of Egypt is aware of this Hebrew man, has no idea of God's relationship to this man. You see how quickly a lie can blow out of proportion? When Abram just wanted to lay low, now all of a sudden the leader of Egypt has his eye on them. This is what happens when we lie. There's a moral application here. There's a bigger picture. We're going to draw back to that in just a second. But there is a moral application here and a theological application. Here's, here's what happens when we think that God is not in control. We try to take control for ourselves. And so we're willing to stretch the truth. We're willing to make a few compromises so that we can gain some control over our circumstances. But do you know what happens inadvertently when we take control from God and keep it for ourselves is that we actually cannot keep it. We inadvertently give control of our life and circumstances to another power who does not want the same good for us as God. This is what happens with Pharaoh. Abram says, my circumstance seems out of God's control, so I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And as quickly as he takes matters into his own hands, all of a sudden it's out of his control again, and it's in the hands of a different power, one who does not want his good. This is what happens when we sin. We think we've taken control ourselves, but it's a, an illusion. We've given it to an enemy taking it away from God who wants our good and his glory. So this is the moral theological application here. This is what faith does. Faith tells the truth, even when we don't see what the end result is, even when we don't see how God's gonna bring us through it, we always tell the truth because we believe God is good. We believe he's over it all. This is what God calls us to. When he makes a promise, he can keep it. But Abram chooses deception and it spirals out of control. Look at verse 16. It says that Pharaoh treated Abram well because of his wife, Sarai. He treated him well. Well, that sounds pretty good. In fact, if you're reading this to kids, you might go, wait a minute. I'm trying to teach you not to lie. But here, Abram lies. 
puts Sarai in grave danger, puts the promise of God in grave danger, and then kind of seems like he gets off scot-free. Like maybe actually comes out on the positive. I mean, now he's got animals and wealth and even servants. Maybe things are going okay for him despite this. Hang on. <laughs> Lest we believe that Abraham, Abram, we now you know, we know him as Abraham, so sorry, I'm going to say Abraham all the time. Uh, lest we think that he somehow has come out ahead because of saying a lie, think about this a couple different ways. We automatically think that when we gain more, we are better off. But imagine Abram in Egypt, having traveled all across the ancient Near East, from the Euphrates River all the way up, and all the way down into the promised land. Of course, this is my way. You'd be looking at the other way, this way. Now, he's going even farther south. He's made a huge journey with Sarai, his wife. They've been promised an amazing promise from God. They've gone through life together. His, his love of his life, he's together with her until this time when he says, hey, maybe just for a little while, I'll pass you off as my sister. Now, he's got all this stuff, but he doesn't have a wife anymore. How would you feel? Don't you think that every time Abram went to go feed an animal, that then he would go to his own table and there would be an empty chair? Does that sound like fulfillment to you? Does it sound like blessing? It sounds more like burden, doesn't it? This is what's happening in Abram's life. He's not being blessed by getting more stuff. It's actually a burden. In fact, the other way to look at this is if we look further in Genesis, what we'll find is that all of the things Abram accumulated in Egypt are becoming burdens to him as he goes. The things he accumulates in Egypt along with his nephew Lot is probably what causes them in the next chapter to have to separate because they can't take care of all their stuff that they have. They got to go different ways. That causes a whole nother slew of issues in the coming chapters. We go even farther down the road. There's a woman now in Abram's household by the name of Hagar. She's the servant of what will be the servant of Abram's wife, Sarai, after they leave Egypt. Then there's going to be another threat to the promise of God. How are we going to have children? Sarai's barren. Abram is old. Well, we better hurry up and take this into our own hands and make something happen. And so what happens is Sarai gives Hagar, this Egyptian servant, to Abram in order to try to devise their own plan to have a promised child. And it does not go well for them. And it leads to cursing, leads to more burden. So everything Abram's gaining is not because he's getting off good because he's deceived somebody. It's actually going to be, it's going to make his life harder. So faith tells the truth. Second part is deception, right? We tell the truth even when we can't see how it works. Maybe you're asking at this point, where's God? <laughs> where's God in all this? How did God let this get this far? How, what's God going to do about this? We've seen Abram operating out of fear, uh, out of doubt. Rather than faith, we've seen his, his integrity compromised. This is our father Abraham who we love and sing about, right? That Hebrews in the New Testament says that by faith, he gives us a great example of faith. But in this moment, it's not a great example. It's the opposite. So where's God? 
even if God could overcome a famine to fulfill his promise, will God overcome Abram's faithlessness to fulfill his promise? Well, verse 17 introduces God to the story. Verse 17, God shows up. It says, but the Lord, but the Lord. Now, the third part of this in verse 17 through 19 of this story is destruction. And you can absolutely say that as Abram leaves God's land of promise, as Abram chooses deception, that it will always lead to destruction. And part of the destruction is a consequence for Abram's sin. Abram chose to disobey God. Abram walked away from God's promise and plans. So yes, there are consequences to Abram's sin. It was his first opportunity to fulfill God's promise. Yes, he ended up in Egypt. Maybe it was because of doubt. It was probably because of fear. But here he was in the other nations, right, in Egypt. And God had just made this promise that he will be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Well, now he's surrounded in Egypt by peoples of the earth. What's he going to do? Is he going to bless them? No. He chooses the opposite. He totally fails. He sins and it brings cursing and plagues onto the Egyptian people, to Pharaoh and his household. Even more so, he puts his own wife in extreme danger. Not to mention, as we've already said, the complications that follow. This is what happens when we sin. We face consequences. In fact, kind of the moral application of this here is that sin always goes farther than we want it to. The consequences of sin never stop with the sinner. I mean, a tit-for-tat relationship with God would, would be nice, right? But we are interconnected with other people. And when we choose sin, it does not just break our relationship with God. It causes ripple consequences to all the people around us. And in Abram's case, even to Pharaoh and his household. Consequences of sin never stop with the sinner. Look at what Pharaoh says. It's an echo of Genesis 3. We've already talked about how Abram's choice to leave the land of promise was just like Eve's choice to eat of the tree, the fruit of knowledge of good and evil, eat of the fruit of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, to claim autonomy from God. This is what Pharaoh says to Abram. The same thing God said to Adam and Eve. What have you done? What have you done? Why didn't you tell me? Uh, if you would have just said it, I mean, who knows what Pharaoh would have done if Abram told the truth? That's not the point of the story. <laughs> what have you done? Plagues that God sends on Pharaoh in Egypt. This is the second part of destruction is that it's not just a consequence for Abram's sin, but God actually had a divine purpose for these consequences. A divine purpose that God would use these plagues to make Pharaoh aware that things were not right and to go and find out why things weren't right, he discovers the true relationship between Abram and Sarai. They're married. So now, here we are. God has brought plagues. He's brought destruction, but he's doing it for a divine purpose. He's actually doing it to provide mercy to Abram and to his family and to prevent Pharaoh from being further destroyed because of this sin in his household. 
So God is full of mercy and grace here is a token of grace that even though he brings these plagues and these destructive things, that he's doing it to, to rescue his people. He's doing it to protect Sarai, who's the wife of the son of promise, Abram. He's doing it so that he can defend his purposes. He's doing it so that he can ultimately fulfill his promise to Abram. This is a bad situation, but God's using it for good. So God sent these plagues for a divine purpose. Destruction uh, wasn't just for the sake of destruction. It was to bring Abraham into facing reality of his sin and to bring the promise to fruition, which leads to the last part, verse 19 in the second half, the deliverance. The deliverance. Look with me at verse 19. In the last part of it, After Pharaoh asks these questions, he says, here is your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him and they sent him away with his wife and all he had. But all this stems from verse 17 when God enters the picture and it says, but the Lord, the Lord intervened. The destruction was all designed for the deliverance of God's people, for the fulfillment of God's promise. It was to protect Sarai, keep the promise intact. And for us to realize along with Israel and along with Abram, that God's promise and his ability to keep his promise does not depend on our ability to stay faithful. God is above that. God's promise is God's promise. He will keep it regardless of our ability to follow through. In fact, God's power is proven here over the most powerful person in the known world at the time in Pharaoh. God can keep his promise when no one else can keep theirs. This is the point that God always keeps his promise, even when we can't. We go, why is this story here? Genesis 12, God makes a great promise. Now Abram is faced with a tough situation. His circumstance changed. What's he going to do? Is he going to prove faithful? Is he not? All he has to do is believe and receive the promise of God, yet he can't live in it. He can't fulfill it. He wanders off on his own. He chooses sin. Abram is faithless, just like us. But that doesn't stop God from keeping his promise. And this is what we're going to see over and over again through the rest of Genesis, is that God can keep his promise even when we can't. Now think about the first recipients. Chelsea already reminded us of this, that, you know, Genesis wasn't bound in a Bible you know, it's just a few hundred years ago for us to pick up. But it was actually delivered to God's people while they were in the wilderness. So Genesis 50 chapters goes through. The next book we have is Exodus in our Bibles, which tells the story of how God's people were enslaved. Guess where? Egypt. For 400 years they were there. And then the Pharaoh who was there said, these are not just people living among us. These are people I'm going to put in in slavery. I'm going to acquire these people as a possession, just like he did Sarai, bringing Sarai into his household. So they were acquired by Pharaoh. They were treated harshly as slaves until God intervened and brought, guess what? Plagues onto Pharaoh and his household. 
until finally Pharaoh declares to Moses in Exodus, which ought to remind us of Genesis 12, he says, take your people and go. I've had enough of these plagues. Get out of here. And then as the people are going, the Egyptians provide wealth to the Israelites on their way out, just like Abram who acquires all these new possessions in Egypt, despite his deception. And so the people leave. They miraculously, by God's leadership, cross the Red Sea on dry ground into this wilderness wandering. But it wasn't planned to be a wilderness wandering. It was planned to be a deliverance into a land of promise, a return to the land that God gave to Abram. Yet they sinned. They could not keep their promise. They could not live under God's promise without breaking it. They sinned, but God had mercy and grace. And though he led them through a time of wandering in the wilderness, he eventually brought them into the land of promise. He proved to them, even them as they're receiving the book of Genesis and reading the story of Abram, he's proving it right before their eyes that though they were enslaved by Egypt and Pharaoh, God could deliver them. And though they could not keep and live under God's promise, God would still keep his promise and deliver them and bring them ultimately into the land. And so the question that they were asking was, who's God in this? Where am I in this? How can I believe that God is going to keep this promise he's made to me when everything around me looks like wilderness and wandering and hunger and thirst? God says, trust me. You can't keep promises, but I can, and I will. God would fulfill his promise. He'd bring the people into the promised land. Now, the rest of our Old Testament is the story of how the people continue to break promises. But God continues to fulfill, all leading to a future descendant of Abram by the name of Jesus Christ. Described in Matthew chapter 1, as coming from Abraham himself. In the genealogy of Abraham, Jesus would be born to Mary and Joseph. Jesus would live a perfect life. He would do all the things that Abram couldn't do, fulfilling God's design for life. Abram, Jesus would, would fulfill everything, every promise that God had made about him. All the things that Abram and none of his other descendants could do, all the things that we cannot do, Jesus would do so that he could then give his life as a sacrifice for us to be restored into a relationship of blessing with God. It all comes down to this. Abram was willing to sacrifice his bride to save himself. Jesus sacrificed himself to save his bride. Church, we are the bride of Christ. Jesus gave his life for us because of love to restore us into eternal relationship with God. Maybe you're not feeling that you're a part of that. Maybe you go, well, I'm just visiting here or I'm not really into religion or I'm not really into church. Jesus has opened the door through his death and resurrection for anyone who responds to him in faith to be, become a child of God, to enter into that covenant relationship, that relationship of promise. 
where we don't have to do anything to achieve relationship with God, but we can receive forgiveness by faith, belief that God is who he says he is, that God can keep a promise. And while we live in a wilderness, desert, chaotic world, God has said that he is going to restore our world to brand new. God has promised that because of Jesus Christ, we can have an eternal relationship with him where we get to enjoy the new creation as new creations with him for eternity, that we can return to the relationship of blessing that began at the beginning of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. And we do it by faith in Jesus Christ. Have you put faith in Jesus yet? Because you can read the story of Abram and you can go, well, yeah, I'm supposed to tell the truth. I'm not supposed to lie. And you can figure out all the moral steps that you're supposed to take to be a good person, but you won't even be as good of a person as Abram and he wasn't a very good person. Your eternal destiny depends on faith in a God who can keep his promise even when you can't. And it changes everything about our lives. And it gives us a framework for how to live, not for his blessing, but from his blessing. This is the beautiful story that God's given us, not just to know about, but to enter into by faith. Will you choose Jesus today? Because he is the better Abram who kept his promise to God and fulfilled it by sacrificing himself for you. Would you pray with me? I want to lead you in a time just to respond to God. We want to sing one more song before we leave today. This is a moment where God wants to meet you. If you need to take that step to put faith in Jesus today, here's how you might do that. While we are just head bowed, eyes closed, while we kind of are entering into a time of prayer, you might even just pray to God in your own heart. It doesn't have to be out loud. Just something along the lines of God, Thank you for giving Jesus to die for me so that I didn't have to. God, I want to put faith in Jesus. I want to be restored to a relationship of blessing to have eternal life with you. If that's you, you're thinking that, you're praying that, God is leading you to that right now, I wanna tell you that you're not just making a decision here in a moment that doesn't have any bearing on your life. What I wanna tell you is what you're doing is it is entering into a relationship with God by faith where God will enter your life to dwell, to change everything about who you are from the inside out, to make you more like Jesus so that you can live for him, glorify him with your life. This is a life-changing decision. If God's leading you to it, I just want to encourage you, embrace it. There's unknown in the future. There's fear probably. Well, what if, what's my family going to think if I choose Jesus? If I become a church person, what are my friends going to think? I just tell you, it's worth it. God makes a promise to you.
and he will keep it. You can trust him. Now, others of you are just thinking like, what's my next step? Maybe I've believed in Jesus. I am, I am a Christian. I, but what do I do now? I just want to pray over you that God would help you know what to do next. Because I can't tell you. <laughs> Can I pray for you? God, you have a, a great dream for our lives to be with you. You've made a way for us to be with you through Christ. God, help us to not be afraid of whatever circumstances in our life might lead us away from you, but to enter into anything life can throw at us with courage and obedience, trusting you to fulfill your promise to us. God, thank you for Abram's story, which wasn't perfect. I identify with him in that way. Thank you for fulfilling your promise through Christ so that we can know we have eternal life with you. I pray that you would reveal yourself to people here today, that you would lead them in their next steps spiritually that our church would be full of people who are growing spiritually, who are leaning into what we're learning from the Bible and letting you shape us to what you want us to look like. So those of us who are Christians, God, we know your spirit lives in us. We ask that your spirit would help speak to us, shape us, change us, transform us, give us a vision for what's next, that we can look more like Jesus and experience life to the full the way you've designed it for us. Thank you for your scripture. Your very word spoken to us. May we give it the weight it deserves in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.